You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. It's your decision. <laughs> so funny. I got this. The Happy Father's Day. That's enough for me. <laughs> I think when I think of Father's Day, um, in Korea we don't really have Father's Day. Uh, we just have like Parents' Day, <laughs> and uh, like Mother's Day is kind of combined. And Father really doesn't get the highlight. Uh, it's mostly just mothers, I think. Right? Yeah. Parents' Day, and, and and you know when I think of Father's Day, it's kind of sad. Um, especially in states because so many are without fathers. Um, but I told you guys one time that when I was with my dad and I was like in mid-20s or early 20s, so a lot of you are in this age, my dad said, you know, I'm no longer your father because I can't protect you or provide for you or be there for you all the time um, and give you what you need and be around all the time for you like I used to be. So, so I'm no longer your father. But you have a new father, and that's Heavenly Father, and God will be there for you, and He'll be a perfect father. And I realized at that moment, it's true. And when you think of your dad, there's a relationship there. There's those with father currently. There's that, but there's nothing more than that. But God, when we embrace God as our father, God can come in and embrace all of that, not only the relationship, but protection, providence, and all of that for us. And, and I hope that all of you would grow into really receiving that I have a may have earthly father, but the greater one, the perfect one, is, is the heavenly father. And uh, to generation and to the country that is so, in so many cases, without father, um, I hope that we can present the perfect father that they can find um, through the word uh, that we study and the relationship that we can show. So, Anyway, uh, the text we have today, um, I wrote in the newsletter that there, it's a crazy day for Jesus, and you know I wanted to you know, reflect on what is the craziest, craziest day that you ever had, and those of you who were in Philippines, we can imagine that the, the last 24 hours in Philippines was, I think, was craziest, craziest day for us, right? When we were leaving, we had lunch. You know, one moment we were in like a really poor school, and next day, next morning, we were like in a really large Nazarene university. One moment we were like sleeping in, you know, this little living room space, and then next morning we were like in this hot spa place. We were like uh, living like a living like king and queen, and uh, there's all this emotion of uh, missing somebody and being relieved and relaxing and all of that. So. Some of you guys can experience that. Just there, there are days in your life that's just crazy. Like so many, so much you know, stuff happen. It's just an emotional roller coaster. For me, like one of the day, the highlight is when I actually went back to Korea to meet Esther. So on the same day, within that 24 hours, not only did I get to Korea and super tired, and I found out I went to meet my you know best friend growing up, and you know found out he just a couple hours ago he died. Um, committing suicide so then I'm in really terrible mood 
um, and struggling with that. And then a few hours later, I meet Esther, who would marry who I would marry, and how she kind of dogged me for being fat and ugly and <laughs> not dressing properly and um, had a really awkward time together. And so that was one of the crazy, craziest days in my life, uh, but one of them. And we all have that. So that's what we're going to look at in our text today. It's really uh, really interesting text, how the Luke kind of puts everything together. It's really fun. And we see that, what does what is Jesus going through here? He goes through so much. So we'll go ahead and read. And... Um, and we'll, we'll learn more about it. So this is Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 48. And this is, it starts with Jesus finally, finally getting to Jerusalem. So I'll go ahead and read one verse, and you guys read the next. Verse 28. After he had, he, he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Saying, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will not, you will find tied there a colt that has never been written. Untie it and bring it here. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. They said, the Lord needs it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. Saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you, and hang you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground. You and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. And he said, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept up the problem with But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were spellbound by what they heard. The word of the Lord. Hey, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the text that we're about to study. We pray that you will open our hearts and um, allow our minds to understand and your spirit to move, uh, to make us humble, to be convicted, and to uh, allow you to conform who we are and how we think and how we must act. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you read through this, and you see what's going on here. There's, I think, three things that are mainly happening, and all in kind of, in one day, in push-up, you know, in, in one day, and there's one, 
There are three things that are going on. One, Jesus enters. It's his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Finally, he gets to Jerusalem. And second, he is weeping over Jerusalem. So one moment he's excited and there's a whole thing going on and the next minute he's weeping. And next minute, next, you know, next time, and next one, he's cleaning out the temple. He's angry. He's all crazy angry, just flipping tables over and everything. So there's a lot going on in these 20 verses and it ends up with really calm setting where Jesus is just teaching at the temple. So let's go ahead and see what's going on. Um, these stories that we read, there are three stories here. Most of them are written in other Gospels too. Uh, but Luke has it very rather compacted than other Gospels. For example, the triumphal entry, we see, we read more about it. There's Hosanna, there's a palm, branches waving. This is the Palm Sunday event that we're seeing. But Luke has really made it compact. He's not you know, telling everything. It's almost as if, if you're reading this, you know more about it from other Gospels, right? Uh, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem is unique to Luke. We only find it in Luke. But the other one, the cleaning out the temple along with the triumphal entry is in all four Gospels. That's rare. There aren't many stories in the Gospel that's shared in the all four Gospels. So the first one is Jesus entering, uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem. And it's a shorter version, like I said. And verse 29, it says, When he had come near Bethany... At the place called the Mount of Olives. So I've been to these sites. I've been to Mount Olives. I've been through Bethany. I stayed at the hotel called something Olives. <laughs> because that's where it's located. And when you come over to Bethany. Over the hill. You see this hill going down. It's a downhill. And there's Valley of Kidron. So you're, you're here. And there's a hill coming down. Sort of like if you're up in um, like Twin Peaks. Looking down at the city. There's a hill coming down, and there's this valley, and a little bit up above, there's a temple in Jerusalem. So you really look down on it, and we took pictures there, and it's a really fascinating picture. It's only less than two miles away, so it's close. We actually walked from uh, the Bethany, where we can we look down the uh, Jerusalem. We walked down to the Garden of Gethsemane, where there was a supposedly the garden there where Jesus prayed and stuff. And then you can actually walk to, uh, to the, 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 I think the south gate or uh, west gate of Jerusalem. So it's close. So Jesus is right there. He can see. So as he comes through the Bethany, he's almost entering it um, through Kid, you know, Kid, Kidron Valley and from the, uh, the Mount of Olives. Olivet, there's a Nazarene school called Olivet. And uh, it's kind of, that's what it means. Olivet is of Olives, Mount of Olives. So... Jesus comes down and he rides a donkey, right? And we don't really know how he gets it. He just says, it's almost like a password. We'll go find a donkey. you see it. And then untie it. If someone asks, say, the Lord needs it. It's almost like the password, like secret password, the Lord needs it. It's like, oh, okay then. Um, he gets it. Maybe it's prearranged. Is a lot of scholars are saying it must have been prearranged. There's something that we don't know about it, but it's significant enough that Jesus said, you go there, you find this, and you do it, and all will be okay. So, disciples get a donkey, brings it, and Jesus rides on it. And the significance with that is that it fulfills the prophecy. And you have it on your sermon note. The first verse that uh, passage you see in the back is the verse from Zep- uh, and that says, uh, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Lo, your king comes to you." 
triumphant and victorious is he humble and riding on a donkey on a colt the bull of a donkey it's a humble king entering so it's fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus the Messiah the awaited Messiah entering and as he enters they throw a cloak over the donkey to for Jesus to ride on and as he's going they're kind of spreading out their cloaks all the disciples there's multitude of disciples just spreading out it's almost like making a what's our modern way of doing it red carpet right it's like a Grammy award it's just a red carpet lined up for the king to come and I don't know why but I have this image from that what's that movie um, that Larry likes uh, you know the comedy movie you see king or some tyrant walks through and they're always spreading out red carpet wherever he goes and throwing flowers on it this is so this is a kingly entry that's what it signifies that this is a kingly entry second uh, Kings 9 uh, chapter 9 verse 13 says then hurriedly they all took their cloaks and spread them for him on the bare steps and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed to who is king so when the king is recognized is proclaimed they throw out their cloaks red carpet to recognize his king uh, and they're shouting they're shouting and these words that they're shouting comes from Psalm chapter 118 verse 26 it says blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord who bless you we bless you from the house of the Lord so they're using this words from Psalm they add the king instead of blessed is the one they say blessed is the king and look here it doesn't say Hosanna uh, Louise asked, what does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means glory. So he doesn't add Hosanna, which is a foreign language. Uh, he just says glory to God, to the highest in the heaven. And uh, there's no whole thing with the palm tree and all of that going on. And what's unique in Luke is that his focus isn't like the other Gospels. When you read the other Gospels, the same story, there is... Thousands of people. It says the, the city shook when Jesus entered. Because there are thousands. This is the biggest event they've ever seen. There's so many people. There's such a you know, huge thing going on that the city shook. And the other Gospels talk a lot about people that were there. That how many people were there. How exciting it was. And all the palm branches and all of that. But Luke's focus, like his focus has been throughout the, his Gospel, is on the followers of Jesus. So you see that there aren't any mentioning of a whole lot of people there's mention of disciples it was disciples who went and got the donkey it was disciples who put cloak on the donkey it was disciples who was laying out the cloak it was disciples who were shouting and what Luke is trying to do look this is what it's meant to happen this is you follow Jesus recognizing who Jesus is this is truth being proclaimed by the disciples as it should be so his focus is completely different from other gospel writers and in that Jesus is glorified because truth is expressed right um, and everyone's high disciples are happy because finally they're bringing in they're with the Messiah that's coming into the city and obviously except for a group of Pharisees right verse 39 it says some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher order your disciples to stop verse 40 he answered I tell you if these were silent the stones would shout out so you see the striking contrast of happy people and people who are concerned. And you can only imagine what they're concerned about. They're concerned because, oh, this is too much happening. How would Romans think? And, and we're all kind of like that. When you think about it, we do something. Oh, maybe this is too religion. What would people think? 
or maybe I'm going too far. What would other people think? What trouble would this cause? And that's where the Pharisees are. They're worried about other things outside of what is happening in front of them, which is Messiah coming in town, right? And Jesus said, even rocks will shout out, which is great. Um, and, and we read the whole creation story. Jennifer read the whole creation story. And you look at the creation, and I think we're prone to think that creation was all for us, and it's all about us. Nothing has happened to creation, but you remember when Adam and Eve were cursed and left the Garden of Eden, the curse wasn't just the people. curse was on the ground, too, on the animals. And you see the difference, the change that Jesus would bring at the end of the world when he comes back is that lions would sit with who? Sheep, right? Lamb. And children would play with snakes. And so there's a peace that was meant to be in, that existed in the garden, even for animals, even for land. So when Jesus said, even rocks will shout out, which means even the creation is longing for the coming of Messiah. Even the creation is longing for the reconciliation of the world to God, including creation. So that's interesting and that's unique for us to recognize. And then Jesus comes down and probably the whole emotion was held in when he was coming down the, the valley from Bethany to the city of Jerusalem, and he weeps. Right? It says he wept. This isn't like crying, like, oh, I'm so sad. This isn't crying. This is bawling. This is wailing. Jesus all of a sudden burst into sobbing. I mean, you imagine, what a scene. There's a whole lot of people, and Jesus just weeps out loud. right? And you ask, why? At verse 41, Jesus says, If you even knew, had only recognized on this day the things that made for peace. Verse 44b says, Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. And Jesus explains the destruction of Jerusalem that will happen in AD 70. Jerusalem actually was completely destroyed. When I was there, and we were on the bottom of the uh, where the temple used to be, and the, the, our guide explained, it's true what Jesus said, not even a single brick remained. There's nothing. And in the bottom, there were uh, still huge rock, right? Um, the carved stones that were fallen from the temple, and it was laid around, and we walked around and we took pictures there. But it's true, nothing remained. Everything was completely gone, completely destroyed. So what it is, is Jerusalem has finally is receiving the Messiah, but the city, like the stories we've heard in Gospel of Luke, city is blind. City doesn't know who's coming. They don't know the king that they've been waiting for, the Messiah that they waited for, is coming. And they're seeking peace, but they're seeking peace in a wrong way. They're seeking peace with empires, the Roman empires. What do we do? How do we deal with Rome? Instead, they, you know, doing that, they should be focused on how do we reconcile our relationship with God? And the peace that Jesus is talking about here is, you will finally be, you could be reconciled to God. That's the peace that you're seeking. That's the peace that you need. Instead, you're seeking something else. So we know from chapters that are coming that they completely reject Jesus. And they crucify Jesus. So Jesus enters the kingdom at the temple. And what does he do? He cleans out the temple. And some of you know the story. Jesus goes in. And he just flips the tables, he drives out the, the merchants, and he's 
throwing whip around, he's shouting, and you can only imagine. You see some of the Jesus movies. You see how Jesus goes crazy. Um, they highlight on the face of Jesus, going, and then he's running around, flipping everything and throwing everything out and kicking merchants. Um, verse forty-five says so he began to drive out those who were selling things. You read the Gospel of Mark and Matthew, and you read more about it. Um, and what he's doing is purifying the, the temple. He's purifying what is impure there. Uh, and it's also prophesied. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Uh, purifying. And it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 through uh, 3. It's in the back. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the descendants of Levi. Refine them like gold and silver until they present offering to the Lord in righteousness. That's what he's doing. And in that, he's angry. Jesus is angry. And why? Because people are abusing and people are ripping other people off in the temple. So what is done is, when people go into temple, they need to pay um, the temple offerings. And the only money that's accepted in the temple offering, and I've seen this, when you go to Jerusalem and you go to the uh, museum, you see this. It's a Tyrian coin. It has a Tyrian coin, it has a the Roman, um, I guess the emperor picture you know, on it. It's a Tyrian coin. That is the only acceptable uh, the offering at the temple. So what needs to be done, it's like going to Philippines or Korea or China, right? You need to get your money exchanged because that's only acceptable. So you got to get the money exchanged. The rate is ridiculous. It's like, you know, from US dollar to Philippine, Filipino pesos, right? The, it's r- ridiculous. So they are ripping it, people off. Not only that, people travel long way to get to Jerusalem. They can't just try to bring their dove or lamb or whatever the, they would use to sacrifice. So they would have to buy sacrificial animals at the court. And they were overcharged. You know, oh, your lamb's no good. Your bird is no good. And you got to take this one. It's got the, I don't know, burn certified mark on it that this is approved one. You need to buy this. And it'll be ridiculous cost at it. And the worst thing is the high priests, all the high priests and chief priests, they get a cut. So they're rich because of this. So the whole corrupt system of it and sellers making money and profiting and abusing. So Jesus says, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Which reflects, again, on other verses here. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 11. So this is Jesus angry, purifying the temple. And it ends with a scene where Jesus is teaching in the temple. And they're two different people. They're leaders of the temple, mad, and trying, thinking about killing Jesus. And there are people who is, in other translations, holding on to every word that Jesus speaks. And uh, I love the translation here. They were spellbound by what they heard. They were just engaged so much. They're holding on to every word. And Jesus teaching and preaching. So, let me work backward on this story. Okay? Starting from the end. So what we see here is that the core activity at the temple that Jesus engages 
he's teaching and preaching. Which means, you know, there is no temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not a holy land, it's just a land. It doesn't need to be called holy land and it should, it should not be called holy land because what makes us holy, what makes anything holy, is the presence of God. Right? Not the building, not a place, not, a, not an artifact. Um, God makes us holy. So we don't need temple because Jesus has come and He's with us. And we don't need temple because we don't need to make any sacrifice or go through a purifying process because of what Jesus has done. But what we do is what is activity within the temple that Jesus also held dearly. And he, until his dying moment, he was active in it, which is teaching and preaching. Right? And that's what we do in Lifelight. The, really, the core activity of what we do is teaching and preaching. You learn through Bible study. On Sunday when we gather, you learn through the preaching. That's one thing that we need. That is the essential to our need to know who God is, learn who God is, and who we are, and how to live our lives. So, Jesus is engaging in core activity, which is teaching and preaching, and He will continue on in the next few chapters. And But I said at the beginning, Jesus is on an emotional roller coaster, and the appropriate response for us is, why? Why is Jesus going through this? Why does Jesus feel this way and act this way? So the first one we ask is, what makes Jesus angry? When he entered the temple, what made Jesus angry? And I share this with some of you guys. What makes God angry the most is when people come in between him and his people. And that's what you see here. There are people who is getting in between where people want to come to God, but they're holding them up. And what's happening here is that people, the place where the, all the merchants are spread, it's in the temple, it's in the court of Gentiles. So, you know, in the temple there's a holy of holies, and there's an inner temple, and there's a courtyard, and there's where the woman sits. And the largest area, and what is the cheapest to be in, and not as decorated and nice, is the court of Gentiles. This is where Gentiles come in to observe, check out, or see, and engage, and learn about Yahweh. And this is where people are blocking them up, making money off the Gentiles. So, Jesus gets angry because while this is a place where they should be inviting and offering and sharing the faith, the God of Israel, they're making money off of them and they're taking them away, keeping them away from God. And you know, when you and you look at it, it's the same today. You ever go to Jerusalem, uh, and we kind of, some of us witnessed when we went to Philippines, when you go into the temple, it's, they're selling something. For you to go to God, right? It's, if it's not candles we sell in Philippines, they're selling stuff to go into temple. And what God hates the most, the, the, when God gets angry the most, is when people are getting in the way of His people coming to Him. And there's a phrase, there's a name for those people who gets in the way of God, and that name is Satan. And you remember, Jesus calls Peter Satan. When Peter tries to get in between what God is doing for his people. So the question is, what makes God angry? And another question is, do you make God angry? Whether it's your hypocrisy or your own agenda or your sin or your own feelings. Because it's all about you. Do you make God angry? Do you 
come in between where people want to come to God? Are you in the way? If then, do you repent and ask God for help? And another question is, do you get angry for God like Jesus? God gets angry. Some people are upset. Oh, God gets angry? God doesn't get angry. God gets angry. He's slow to anger, but He certainly does get angry. So the question is, do you get angry as God does? There are things that we should be angry about. Christians are not called to be just peaceful and meek all the time. There are things that we need to get angry at. Do you recognize those things? When false religion comes in and keeps people away from God, on the injustice of the world, when you see people in poverty, when you see the, the people being abused, do you get angry? There are reasons for us to angry, and we should get angry. We should be angry Christians in some cases. Do you get angry for God like Jesus? So next one is, what makes Jesus cry? There are two occasions in the Bible, in the Gospels, that we see Jesus cry. One is when Lazarus died, and the other is this one, when Jesus Jesus weeps here. And the, the shortest verse in the Bible is when Jesus was at the Lazarus, uh, death of Lazarus. The verse says, Jesus wept. And many of us might think that, oh, Jesus wept because Lazarus died. He's sad. His friend died. He's not really crying. He shouldn't cry because he's going to resurrect him. Right? He cries because of what the lack of faith is doing to people. People are sad because of lack of faith. So, on our occasion, on our text today, why did Jesus cry for Jerusalem? Because they failed to see Jesus for who He is. They don't recognize of His visit, that His revelation. Jesus came to rescue them, but they're rejecting. So this isn't about Jesus being of His pride, oh, they're rejecting me, but this is Jesus lamenting over the consequence of their rejection, which is the destruction. So He's lamenting. And lamenting is... It's not just being sad. It's not just being upset. It's very complex emotion. And one commentator I read wrote this. It's a voice of love and profound caring of vision of what could have been and of grief over its loss, painfully releasing the object of its hope, of personal responsibility and frustration, of sorrow and anger mixed, of accepted loss but with energy enough to go on. It's a complex emotion. Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem. So our question again is, what do you think makes God cry today? What do you think makes God cry today? If you ask in the morning, you ask God, how are you? As God would ask you, right? as we learned, God asks you, how are you? And you ask God, how are you? I'm amazed that God isn't crying all the time over what's going on. The people denying Him, people rejecting Him, people dying, literally. So many are headed to destruction. So another question is, what makes you cry? Do you cry for your own feelings, your own rejections, your own comfort? Or do you cry for people as God cries? Do you weep for people who are dying, rejecting Jesus? Or are you just indifferent? Are you crying for your family, your friends, your neighbors? I have a weird moment uh, when I encounter some of the old like young life kids. 
of someone that I used to know, someone that was part of the church, and I meet them. I met one yesterday. Um, it happens fairly often, right? And it's a strange feeling because I see them and I check with them and I know they are away from Jesus. They have denied and they have rejected. And there's, I'm glad to see them, but I'm sad. Uh, and it, it happens for me every Sunday. I don't know if you guys do this, but when we sing the benediction song, my friends, may you grow in grace, right? The benediction song. When I sing the benediction song, it's weird. I think of all the people who sung this song with me in Life Light Church. And those who fell away, those who stuck around, those who went away and grew um, away from Life Light Church. So there's a really feeling of <clears throat> sorrow, really sadness. And there's also encouragement because of people who stuck around. And it's the moment I look and I think back and all the people who went through this church. And there are hundreds What makes you cry as Jesus cried? Last question is what glorifies God? What glorifies God is people recognizing who Jesus is and celebrating who Jesus is, right? I think the simplest way to, simple way, most simple way to understand what glorifies God most is by the um, quote by John Piper. And some of you know this. John Piper, uh, and you heard him speak, those of you who went to Passion and stuff. John Piper said, God is most glorified when we are most... Anybody? Humble. Satisfied in Him. That, that's his phrase. He, he writes a number of books on this. <laughs> He's written a number of books on this. So let me say it again. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. So the question we get in reflection is, are you satisfied in God and God alone? A lot of people say that, oh yeah, I like God, I love God, I'm satisfied. But if you put it in, you know, in terms of like destination, people are satisfied God in their own way. Um, it's almost, some people are satisfied in God as like an, like an escape. Oh, I am satisfied in God because God takes me away from these things. It's like an escape. Right, so I like it. I want to escape from this world, these things, and take me. God can take me away, and I feel good when I'm at church. I feel like I have escaped from my busy and crazy life. But it's like when you're thinking about destination, it's it's a vacation resort type. Um, Esther would tell you that my favorite vacation destination is Hawaii. No, Cabo. Cabo is my favorite place. I love, it's not even Cabo San Lucas. It's actually San Jose del Cabo, which is a few miles away from Cabo. And my favorite place is this all-inclusive resort. So I go there, I do nothing. I just hang out with the family. I eat Mexican food, here to you know listen to Mexican music. And it's, it's my favorite place to be because I get to do nothing. I get to escape from here and everything that, I'm, that, you know, that keeps me busy. But it's not saying much of San Jose del Cabo. And people here, oh, okay, well, that's nice. Because it doesn't really glorify the place because it's just an escape. And sometimes people refer to God as, oh, it's, he's, he's an escape for me. Or some people think of God as like, 
place where they get to look upon the world. They like to get philosophical. Uh, I can think of moon as a destination. Like everybody, I don't know. When I think of like destination, I said Cabo is like a nice vacation place. The place I really want to be, really want to visit. I actually have none. <laughs> I've traveled enough. I don't like traveling, but I, you know, I told you guys about Vietnam. I really want to go to Vietnam, right? I really want to go to Vietnam. The the beach and the food is great. Jungle. I like to look at the jungle. I don't like to be in the jungle. <laughs> Who wants to be in the jungle, right? No one wants to be in the jungle, but you like to look at jungle from outside. It's lovely. So I like to go to Vietnam, and it talks about why Vietnam is an awesome place to go, right? Um, and outside of that, maybe I want to go to the moon. I want to go to the moon, and a lot of people go to the moon. And you know, there is a project for people to actually travel vacation in moon. Um, the Virgin guy is putting together all this space traveling and for people to go to the moon. But when you think about it, people doesn't really go to the moon because of moon. Like, who wants to go to the moon, right? There's nothing at, in the moon, at the moon. It's just rock. It's just ball of dirt. And they're like sharp, sharp things and depends on where you are. The, the temperature is differs by, I don't know, really hot, really cold. And I know all of this from Armageddon, the movie, right? No one wants to go to the moon, but why do people want to go to the moon? Because they can look at the earth, right? So moon isn't really the destination for its own sake, but it's a destination destination because you can look upon things. And I think some people are like that. When they think of God, they say they're satisfied in God, but they just want to sit and be able to see the world through God's eyes and be philosophical about it, be able to judge. Um, for some people, it's like a bucket list. When you travel, it's God is one of many things that you find satisfaction in, not the only satisfaction. So the question is, are you satisfied in God and God alone? Is God the only destination that you're seeking? If you went nowhere else but to God, is God enough for you? Are you completely satisfied in Him and Him alone? Or is it your career or your relationships that you seek or your own goals or your self-fulfillment and self-worth? I have a relationship with God, but I really need these things too. I think that's what the Gospel of Luke is really coming down to address to us, to teach us and drive us to is if you're following Jesus, you're just following Jesus alone. It's only Jesus. It's only satisfaction with only Jesus. Jesus alone. Are you completely satisfied in Him and is Jesus enough? Do your friends and family know that you're completely satisfied in Jesus? Do they know? When you're disappointed, when you're upset, they, do they watch you go, that's okay. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. My soul is in peace because of all I needed Jesus. You won't really say that, but do they know that you find peace and joy and hope elsewhere? And really, that's what glorified, glorifies God the most. That's what had happened here. It's you, in that moment, when you recognize that God is enough, and you're completely satisfying God, that's you, like disciples of Jesus, putting his cloak over the donkeys, and laying out the clothes, glorifying and shouting and praising God, when you are completely satisfied in Jesus. So, a crazy day for Jesus 
Jesus cries, Jesus shouts, Jesus gets angry, Jesus is calmly teaching in the whole one day. And what we see is that God is not this kind of stern-faced, indifferent God who just sits with stone face. God is full of emotions. And we learned it, He made us in His own image. As we are full of emotions, so is God. And He's full of emotion because He cares and He loves deeply. You know, He cries, He shouts, He gets angry. So the question we ask is, what about you? What about us? What do you get angry about? Yourself? Or do you get angry about the things that God gets angry over? What do you cry about? Your own failings and your own little sadness? Or do you cry for things that hurts God? Do you live life that's glorifying God? Is it about you for your own cause or your own rejection and or your own pleasure? Or is it about reflecting on the emotions of God? God cares for you. He's shouting out your name. He's laughing, crying when you're crying. He's laughing when you're laughing. He's celebrating you. He's adoring you. He's holding you. All this emotion for you, for us. And that's what makes him the perfect father. His father who's engaged with you in every moment of your life. The question is, do we reflect him in our lives, in our emotions? Let me pray, and Josh will lead us with uh, bread and a cup. Father, we thank you that you are full of emotions, and then you move, your emotions move. Depends on what we do, because you care for us. And I pray that as we reflect on what moves us emotionally, what gets us angry, what gets us sad, that we will repent. Because it has been all about us. It hasn't been about you. And that we won't completely satisfy you. I pray that your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, will move all of us to be in a place where we are completely satisfied in you. And your only destination that we seek. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.